You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. We are in a brand new series called God Is. We were in the book of Genesis. We're jumping to the towards the almost the very, very back of the Bible. You have the book of Revelation, then the book of Jude, and then three letters written by uh, the person that we we believe is is uh, John, the Apostle John, but we'll talk about that here in a second. So we're going to spend the next five weeks looking at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in this series, John's going to hit on a number of themes, and, and he presents God as Christ in the flesh, God as light, God as a father, God as love, And he tells us that God is in us through the Holy Spirit, through the anointing. So these are themes that that, uh, John's going to hit upon, and uh, we're going to spend five weeks wrestling through what that means. Today, I'm going to give you the introduction, and then we will get into an introduction, uh, the first four verses of 1 John. So the who, what, where, when, why. The who. Um, The syntax, the vocabulary, the thematic development of these three documents, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and the Gospel of John, they are so closely related that they're probably written by the same author as the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John, John identifies them at at the end of the Gospel. He identifies himself as the author. And so... um, Early church fathers have predominantly said that all these works were the work of of uh, the Apostle John. Uh, there is a possibility that there was a, a student of John, maybe also named John, um, that uh, that was that was the author. And there's there's another possibility that there was a John that um, was simply um, referred to as the elder um, that was the author as well. So there's, but, but most, most theologians will tell you that the apostle is the author. Well, let's talk about the what. These three short letters, um, there's some differences between them. Uh, first of all, First John is a, is a sermon or a poem. And it's written to people that, that are well-versed with the gospel of John. In fact, we're going to see these connections between these two documents over and over and over again. It seems to be written to a number of churches, probably uh, a sermon that either John wrote and then uh, presented or just sent out to um, multiple churches. Second John, 
we're told is written to the chosen lady, which is probably language suggesting that, that, that this is a, a church. This is a house church, or this is the church within a town, um, but seems to be written to a specific church. Whoever read, first read this document probably also read 1 John because eight of the 13 verses of 2 John are almost identical as 1 John. And so without, without more explanation, John quickly shares information with this church, this singular church, that would, with him believing that they had already read the first letter. The final document, 3 John, is a letter to an individual. And when we look at 2nd and 3rd John in the fifth week, we'll need to pay attention to the audience when we talk about what the content is. John's going to say to the church, as a body, you have this responsibility. You have these responsibilities. But to individuals, he's going to talk about a different responsibility. If you don't read those two documents that way, you can confuse the message. And it could seem like they're contradictory almost. We'll talk about that more in the fifth week. Where? Where was this document written? Most will tell you that this was written in Ephesus. Uh, let's take a look at the first map. This is a map of, of the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. The Apostle Paul is the one who planted the church in Ephesus. Let's take a look at the um, next map. This Ephesus is part of the Asia Minor. This area is heavily influenced by both Greek thought and Oriental thought. You have the Oriental world converging with the Greek world right here at, at the border. Caesar worship is the most uh, prominent in this part of the world. Um, the, the, the folks in the Asia Minor are going to do a better job of worshiping Caesar than the people in Rome. Let's put it that way. They, they're more dedicated to their Caesar worship. It's also important to note that the church is still um, highly Jewish at this point. And so we have to pay attention to what would the, what would the Jewish readers hear? What would they think about when they read these documents. Let's talk about the when. So the Ephesus church was planted by Paul roughly around 52 AD. We're told by the early church fathers that the disciples left Jerusalem around 70 AD when Rome toppled it. The gospel of John was written roughly around 80 to 85 AD. First John was written between 85 and 90 AD. 
And because second John uh, is related to first John, it seems to be written after first John. And so many suspect that uh, second, third John were written somewhere around 90 AD. Uh, all these numbers are rough, rough numbers. We don't know the exact dates on any of these. Let's talk about the why. Why were these letters, why was this sermon and these two letters written? Well, there was a group of people that had left the church and the church found itself in conflict with those that, that left. Have we ever seen that take place? Um, they left over theological differences. They left over false teachings. And the predominant false teaching that um, John's going to address is called Gnosticism. Now, this is this Greek word for knowledge. And the Gnostics, well, when the apostles um, first came to the Asia Minor, they found in existence a comprehensive worldview that combined Greek and Oriental thought and included the descent of a divine redeemer who saved the souls of mankind. And so the apostles showed up and, and, and they're preaching the gospel. They're talking about this Jesus and the people within the, within the area said, oh yeah, we, we've heard of something like that. And they just, they combined this teaching of Jesus with their life experiences. Although the ritual practices and ethics of these groups differed considerably, all reported or purported to offer salvation from the press of bonds of material existence through gnosis or through knowledge. They would say that the material world is evil and the spiritual world is good and that the two don't combine. We still see that in some forms of teachings within American Christianity. We still see that. We'll talk about that as, as we go along. Each group of Gnostics claimed to, to, exclusive, to exclusively possess the necessary knowledge. You have to work through me in order to know this God. You have to work through me, they said, in order to attain this special knowledge. That's a little bit problematic, isn't it? Uh, the Gnostics also held that the world was not created by, by the ultimate ground of being or God, but by a lesser deity. And they believed that they were incapable of committing real sins, although their bodies could engage in behavior non-Gnostic Christians considered sinful. John's going to address each of these dangerous teachings. He's going to address all these things. Some additional insights into the book, uh, into these three letters. 
All the key ideas come from the gospel of John. All the key ideas come from the gospel of John, but center on the final teachings of Jesus recorded in John chapter 13 through 17. And it's almost as if John's trying to tell his people, listen, the teachings of Jesus, we need to align our lives with that. Put aside your preconceived notions, put aside your ideas on politics, uh, what it means to function in the world, what morality looks like. Put all these things aside and focus in on the teachings of Jesus. A uh, homework assignment that might bear fruit for you while we're looking at these letters is to read those four chapters, John 13 through 17. Read those chapters out of the gospel and see how that plays in John's discourse. First John is not going to be presented to us. Uh, it's, it's not linear in thought. He's not going to present you with, with uh, thought one, and then thought two, then thought three, and then thought four. He, he's not going to come to you and say, well, this is the foundation, and then these are the walls, and then this is the roof. And then we're going to add windows. Now we're going to add in, you know, furnishings. He's not going to present his ideas in that way. He's going to use amplification. He's going to talk about life and love and truth, but, but not in a linear fashion. He's going to cycle back. He's going to use cyclical repetition. And so he'll start to talk about a topic and then move on to another topic, but connect that topic to the first topic and then go back to that very first topic and, and, and talk about it in greater depth. And he's going to amplify the conversation as he goes. He's going to use hyperbole. He's going to use stark contrasts. He's going to talk about light and darkness, new commands and old commands, the love of the father, the love of the world, the Christ and the antichrist. He's going to talk about truth and lies, children of God, children of the devil, eternal life, eternal death. He's going to talk about love and hate, true and false teachings, love and fear, having life and not having life. He's going to use clear distinctions and stark contrasts. So that's just, that's the who, what, the where, the when, the why, uh, a little bit of the how. And today we're going to look at the first four verses of First John and, and see how they connect to the gospel of John. As you listen to this, think about where have you heard these concepts before? What was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, what I have leaned up, I leaned up against their chest. Concerning the word of life and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. 
And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is John's introduction to what he's going to write to the church, to the churches. And this should take you to John chapter one, verses one through 14. When he says what was from the beginning concerning the word of life, that should take you to John chapter one, verses one through three. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So is John talking about a lesser deity that's part of creation? No, he's talking about the God, the one true God. In him was life and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So the apostle John talks about this John, John the Baptist, who was a prophet that was well known throughout the Jewish world. Wherever the Jews were, they knew about John the Baptist. In fact, they know him so well that John doesn't even have to fully say his name. They know who he's talking about when he writes his gospel. And so in the gospel of John, John says there was this witness and, and this witness is a prophet and his testimony matters. It's not the only testimony, but his testimony matters. And he's going to testify that this is the coming Messiah. This is God's son coming in the flesh. And then in the letter of John, John says, I'm telling you what we saw and what we touched and what we experienced with the son of God. And that matters. The gospel is verified through witnesses. We're told that there was over 500 witnesses that Christ was resurrected. And he says that that witness matters. We're not just thinking this stuff up while we're sitting up on a mountaintop. We're telling you what our experience was. And Christ came in the flesh. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. He came to the Jews and especially the leadership, but there was a certain percentage of the Jews that did not accept Jesus as Christ at that time. But as many as received him, to them, 
he gave the right to become children of God. I wonder if that's going to come up in John's letter. Even those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I wonder if being born of God's going to come up in John's letter. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. The word was with God. The word was God. All things came into being through him and he became flesh. And that is mind blowing. That is, I can't comprehend God on so many levels, let alone the fact that he became flesh. How does a being that could speak this universe into existence also, like how powerful is, does, does he have to be to do that? And how powerful does he have to be to be able to put that power aside? Can you imagine how much power that could be? <laughs> like if he sneezed wrong? <laughs> like he puts... Apostle Paul says that he humbled himself in order to put on flesh. Like there's where he chose to live. He didn't, he didn't go to a mansion. He went to a stable to put on flesh, to become like you and me, to bump up against each other, to stub his toe. Man, what a great and awesome God. And so John is going to borrow from the gospel account. And, and we have to understand the gospel account to fully grasp everything that he's saying because he's, it's, like a, it's like the Cliff Notes. It's like the Cliff Notes version of the gospel. I always liked that version when I was in school. It's the only version I read if I read anything. Usually what I would do is I'd read the first chapter and the last chapter and I'd write my book report and my grade reflected that. But um, let's go back to what John says in, in the first couple of verses and then the third verse. Because again, he's addressing Gnosticism that says that the material world and the spiritual world, they will never collide. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was manifested to us. this word of life. We, we endeavor to raise biblical disciples. Why? 
because the word was with God and was God and became flesh and dwelt, dwelt amongst us. If you want to know Jesus, open up your scriptures and engage with him. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to experience him, the word of life, you get to do that. He wants to meet you through his word. He wants to teach you his heart, his purposes. He wants to redefine your life through his word. That's why we do care group. And that's why we do life transforming groups. That's why we do Bible studies. That's why we disciple people through the word. You can't disciple someone if you don't ever show them the word. If you don't ever show someone the word and you think you're discipling them, who are you discipling them after? Are you discipling them to be like you? We are biblical disciple makers. We introduce people to God's word. Now, I think we should be respectful. If you don't want to read God's word, I'm not going to read it to you. I will wait. (laughs) That's why we do relational discipleship. It's out of relationship. When people ask for God's word, that's when we share God's word with them. John goes on to say, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too, you as well, you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the Gnostics said that the, that, the physical world and spiritual world, they will forever be separated. They won't merge. And they said Christ was, was, was a spirit or an apparition, different, different ways of describing that, different, different thoughts on that. And Jesus physically was a person. But One was good and the other one was just like you and I. And let's do what we want to do with our lives. Let's live the way we want to live because we're evil. What what else do we got? There's some forms of Christianity that, that I think is a little bit like Gnosticism. When we say that God cannot be in the presence of evil, what was Jesus doing those 33 years? And what is the Holy Spirit doing now in us Because don't fool yourself. We still have some evil tendencies. I don't like that part about me. And what was Satan doing in the presence of the throne room in the book of Job? If God and evil cannot be in the same space together, like there's all these stories that you cannot explain. That seems a little bit like Gnosticism. And then the Gnostics said, you have to work through me. I've got the knowledge. And what I'm going to do is help you. When you get the knowledge, that's when you have salvation. 
John says, knowledge is good. We're talking about the word of life. We're talking about something that's true, someone who is true, but he introduces people to something different than knowledge or truth. He introduces people to a fellowship, to koinonia, to a deep abiding relationship. That's different. We're not here to teach people the truth. We need to do that too. But if we do that, instead of introducing people to Jesus, we're wasting their time. And so arguing with people over the internet may be working against us. Maybe we introduce people to this fellowship, to this relationship, and see what God does there. Do we need truth? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does sin matter? John's going to hit that over and over and over again. We are, we are invited to a relationship with each other and with the Father and the Son. That's what we're invited to. And so when we invite people to, to a certain truth, if you only knew my truth, we're starting to look like the Gnostics. If we're inviting people to a certain church, well, you got that church, but you really should trade churches. That could be problematic too. And the goal is not to invite someone to a particular building. I've heard, and, 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 and I've even thought this, uh, we can't grow as a church here. It's too small. A relationship with Jesus isn't dependent upon the size of the building. We'll grow as a church as we invite people into that relationship. Apostle Paul dealt with some of the same kinds of issues, some Gnosticism uh, and and some other things in, in his letters to the Corinthians. He says this, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present to you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. That you be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, (laughs) he says, you bear that, you bear this beautifully. You bear this beautifully. We should not settle for a false or a lesser version of, of Jesus. We should not, we cannot fall 
or settle for a false or lesser version of Jesus. Any version of Jesus that is not fully God and fully man is, is an antichrist. Any version of Jesus that's not fully God and fully man is an antichrist. Uh, I, I think about the, the Mormon theology that says that Jesus and Satan are brothers. That is a lesser Jesus. That's, that's a lesser Jesus. I had some Mormon missionaries come visit me a number of years ago, and, and I said, all I want to talk about is Jesus. That's all I'll talk with you about. And when we got done with our conversation, I said, what you're describing is different than the Jesus that I know. That's all I had to say. They, they didn't come back. They didn't want to talk further. And we know a different Jesus. Like, I'm not going to settle for a lesser or a false Jesus. And do not, simp- do not settle for simply knowing about Jesus. Don't settle for simply knowing about Jesus. They're, they're the Muslims. They know about Jesus. My friend and I were talking, I had told him that there were Muslims around the world that were coming, uh, coming to Christ. And he says, why do you think that is? Why would they do that? Because it's in most countries or many countries, it's illegal to do so. You can, you can die for, for giving up your Muslim faith to become a Christian. He goes, why would they do that? And I said, well, probably because they were introduced to the person of Jesus. And he's like, well, what do you mean? Well, within churches, there are people that sit within the pews and they know about Jesus, but they don't relate. They don't have koinonia. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. Around the world, within the, the Muslims talk about Jesus. The ones who come to to experience Jesus, where he enters into the world. They're the ones that become Christian and potentially face death. How about you? Have you experienced Jesus? Does he communicate with you? Do you know how he loves you? Do you know his heart for you? Have you experienced his grace, his forgiveness? In college, I was living a life of sin. And God told me in my heart, I just, like it was one of those times where I didn't hear a great big booming voice, but I knew God was speaking to me. Because I kept going to his, I was, living my life, but I'd come home and read my Bible. And at one point I just knew, I knew God said, Rob, if you don't turn things around, if you don't change your life, I'm going to bring you home. And I'm like, "Uh." (laughs) Um, but you know what? Whenever God speaks to me, it's always helpful. I 
he always meets me where I'm at and he always leads me to, to where he wants me to go. And so I, it, it seemed impossible, but what was impossible became possible because I just said, okay, I, I will. I got to figure this out. And God provided people that I was able to fellowship with and they helped me on the journey. They helped me understand what living for God, what living for Jesus meant. And I, and I knew that when God spoke to me, it was a loving rebuke. God was lovingly rebuking me and I wanted to know that love. And, and, and I wanted other people to know about it too. I wanted more of that, re- of that relationship. So, out of this introduction, here's the implication. You do not get to define who Jesus is. Anyone who creates their own version of Jesus, they become like God. They become a God. They, they are acting like God in their own lives. If you are choosing to say, well, this is what I think Jesus is like without, without letting Jesus of the scriptures tell you what he's like, without letting all the scriptures tell you what he's like. If you're going to define Jesus without letting him speak into that, because He's a person. I don't get to define you. I don't get to tell you what you are like. And you don't get to tell Jesus what he's like. We don't get to define Jesus. He's already done that for us through the scriptures. You can reject him. Some people reject him. You can ignore him. Like, yeah, 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 that's, that's all good. Or you could join us in pursuing a deep personal relationship with him and each other. That's why we exist as a community of believers, is to continue to grow in our fellowship with Jesus and to grow in our fellowship with each other and invite others into that. Some next steps. Wrestle with the question, have I let culture and what I presuppose to be true define who Christ is and what it means to relate with him? Uh, For me, I had this picture of an angry God. Not that God doesn't get angry, but but what's his baseline emotion. What would you say based off of what you saw of Jesus, his baseline emotion was? Because he did get angry, but was that his baseline emotion? Did he run around, jumping up and down, shaking his fists? Was that how he lived? Because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so how Jesus lived emotionally is how Jesus lives or how God lives emotionally. And is he an angry God or is he a God that experiences anger? 
I had let culture define that for me. And I had to let the scriptures, and I think I still have to let the scriptures redefine that for me because I get off track. Seeing God as an angry God is something I can still run to. Uh, for some of us, uh, we see Jesus as the patriot. We see Jesus wearing red, white, and blue. Does Jesus like those colors? I'm sure he does. But when Jesus comes back, he is not going to adopt the Constitution as his own document. He has his own agenda, and we could join him. He doesn't join our agendas. And while I value the religious freedoms and so much more about this country, we can't let culture define who our Jesus is. You got this, the socialist Jesus. The Jesus that says yes to everyone and, and everything all the time. That, that's, it's just not an accurate view of Jesus. Are there elements of the socialist view that, that Jesus would authoritatively say, absolutely? But what happens is oftentimes wherever we are at, religiously, politically, economically, as a person, when we come to know Christ, we just add a little bit of Jesus to the things that we already value. If we were Republican before we came to Christ, we'll, become, we'll be Republican after we come to Christ. Am I right? <laughs> if we were a Democrat before we came to Christ, we'll be a Democrat after we came to Christ. Jesus will not come back and put an elephant or donkey on his emblem. He's got his own emblems. Um, the relational discipleship Jesus. we could accidentally make our pursuit of making disciples the main thing. In some churches I've seen, they're, like, they're, they're so uh, vigorous in pursuing relational discipleship that they push all the other churches away. We will still engage with, with all the churches of, of Missoula to celebrate Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm sure they're making disciples too. I don't want relational discipleship to become our own form of Gnosticism. I believe that we should make disciples as Jesus made disciples. And we have defined some things to help us talk about that. But Jesus is still our main goal. How have I let culture and what I presuppose to be true define who Christ is? Next step, wrestle with the question, am I investing in community that helps me to connect deeper with Christ? Am I investing in community that helps me connect deeper with Christ? Do I have that community around me? Because John says that's important. 
I mean, John could have become a hermit. He was already saved, right? But fellowship with each other was a high priority to the apostle. Am I investing in community? And if so, am I helping others to connect as well? Am I a conduit for bringing others in or have we become isolationless? They're bad, we're good. Our, our, our own form of dualism. They're out, we're in. If they only had the special truth, the special knowledge, like we have the special truth, the special knowledge, we have to guard against our own form of dualism. And we do that by inviting people in. I think about all the people that came to Jesus for healing. Not one theological test was given. He healed every one of them. When are we going to put our theological tests down before we engage people? Am I helping others to connect as well? And maybe you need to say, I, I, I want Jesus. I want that relationship. I don't know what that looks like, but I want that. If that's true of you, we want to journey with you. We want to journey with you. Third next step, wrestle with the question, am I experiencing a deep connection with Christ or am I settling for simply knowing about him? Do you expect him to speak to you through the scriptures? Do you expect him to re relate with you? Sometimes I get in a pattern where I'm, I'm just going to read it because, man, that's what, I, that's what I'm supposed to do. Yep, check that off, go. And I, I, miss, I miss God's heart. I miss what he wants to say to me personally and intimately. Do you regularly spend time connecting Christ through time in the scriptures? What, whatever that looks like. Reading it, copying it, writing it down, using your MP3 player. Do you regularly spend time connecting Christ through prayer? Do you talk to him? Sometimes while we're worshiping and you guys are singing words, I'm actually talking to him. Something will come up in the song and it will remind me something about my relationship with him. Do you regularly spend time connecting to Christ through prayer? Do you regularly spend time connecting to Christ through worship? Now, all three of these things, if no one has ever modeled what this looks like, and you're like, I'm not doing any of that. If no one's ever modeled to you, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we have community. That's why we do this together. Some of you do some of these things better than I do. Apparently, I don't know how to shut down and be quiet for a while. I had a hard time with the three minutes, and you guys were like, yeah. I have a hard time shutting my brain down. 
Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church/give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.